0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, and I hope that you're staying healthy. If you've been listening to this podcast, you already know the drill. I give you three movie titles that maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't. I don't know. I don't know what you've seen, but I'll give you some perspective on them. I'll give you maybe a new way to look at them if you've seen them before, and maybe just a suggestion if you haven't seen them. We have three new ones for you this week. Let's start with Buried. In Buried, Ryan Reynolds plays a civilian truck driver in Iraq, taken hostage by insurgent guerrillas, buried underground, left to die unless a ransom is paid. With only a limited supply of air, he frantically calls his family, his employer, and American military and political representatives, trying to remain calm as his chances of survival go further and further away with every passing minute. The entire movie happens inside the four walls of a coffin buried six feet underground with only Reynolds and a cell phone on display. Buried begins with a Blair Witch close-up all eyes and nose of Reynolds. Unable to rely on his usual comic timing and bulging muscles, Reynolds hits a career high in Buried, keeping us intrigued for most of the 90-minute running time. I asked Ryan Reynolds why, of all the scripts that must come across his desk, why he chose to make this, knowing that the shoot would be unpleasant.
1: Well, for starters, I don't have a desk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, I, I got the script through the, through the usual channels. I knew it was it was something. Um, I was told it was it was something Hitchcockian, and I and I was I wasn't thinking. Uh, Rope or lifeboat. I was thinking more in the vertigo kind of world. I mean, something a little bit more like a suspense thriller. That's a little more laconic. And um, and I got this script, and it was about seventy nine pages long, which is quite short by Hollywood standards. And um, it was just riveting. I mean, incredible, incredible, incredible script. One of the best I'd ever read. And and uh, the answer was definitely not. No way am I doing this movie. <laughs> specifically because it's impossible to shoot. And I just I just had. I've been around long enough to know that you say yes to a movie like this, you're out there shooting and, and then you find out on your fifth fifth day of shooting that they're going to be doing some exteriors now. And that they're going to be doing, you know, they're going to betray the, the, the film's main conceit, which oh, makes it unique. Right, right, right. Uh, so then I got a letter from this Spanish fellow named Rodrigo Cortez, uh, and he was to be the director, and it was about as long as the script, his letter, and the letter, stated in no uncertain terms that the, that, the, that the film would maintain all the integrity of the script and then some. And uh, I, I've never heard of someone being so right, I mean he just, he nailed it. He knew how to shoot it, um, he found a way to do it where it was not only cinematically enjoyable but uh, but in, inventive and, and just something you've never seen before. And, um, I was just so taken with his enthusiasm and passion. And it was-
0: Buried is suspenseful a one gimmick film that actually works using the claustrophobic setting to its best advantage. It is a movie unlike any other, one that showcases a tremendous script in Reynolds' talent and charisma. I asked Ryan Reynolds about shooting Buried.
1: The film was shot chronologically too, which is a rare treat because you never... You never get an opportunity like that. It's usually out of order, and you're, you find yourself at home reading the entire script over again because you want to make sure you've left no stone unturned. And uh, in this situation, I just got to really kind of go with it. And there was no rehearsal, no anything. Nothing, just, yeah. No, I don't think it's something you rehearse. It's yeah. just when you're in that kind of, you know, when you're going through all those stages of, you know, grief, panic, anger, surrender, acceptance. I mean, I just think you you got to kind of let yourself go for it the first time on camera. Right.
0: Words like confrontational, controversial, and audacious have often been used to describe director Spike Lee. Those same words, and more, think boisterous and dynamic for a start, can be applied to his film Chirac, a modern-day adaptation of the Greek play Lysistrata by Aristophanes first performed in 411 B.C. Set in modern-day Southside Chicago, aka Chirac, the update sees the neighborhood torn apart by gang violence. Rapper Chirac and his girlfriend Lissa Strada are at the center of the action, a glamour couple affiliated with the Spartans. Across town, Cyclops leads the Trojans. A nightclub shooting at one of Chirac's gigs, arson at his home, and the death of a young neighborhood girl caught in the Spartan versus Trojans crossfire pushes Lysistrata to find a solution to the violence that plagues her home. Her outlandish plan is simple but ingenious. She convenes the wives and girlfriends of all the gang members, Spartans and Trojans alike, and urges them to withhold sex from their men until the guys agree to put down the weapons and sign a peace treaty. Well, That's the story in broad strokes. There's more, including a seasoned community activist played by Angela Bassett, Jennifer Hudson as a grieving mother, John Cusack as a fiery priest, and Samuel L. Jackson's flowery-tongued one-man Greek chorus. But the pieces are stitched together with such daring creativity that billions of words of description won't prepare you for the cheeky experience of watching Chirac. Spike Lee mixes and matches powerful anti-violence statements, large-scale dance numbers, and outrageous comedy in an oleo of social commentary that shouldn't work, but it really does. When Irene, played by Jennifer Lawrence, scrubs her daughter's blood from the street, pouring water on the stain only to watch it spread and grow larger, Lee effectively and lyrically makes the metaphorical point that no matter how hard you scrub, the bloodshed will increase. At least that's what I thought. I asked Spike Lee about that scene.
2: Well, I didn't really attend that, but I do see what you're saying. Yes. And that's the great thing about art. I'll give you a, a quick example. And Do The Right Thing, Mookie throws a garbage can to the window. I, when I wrote it, my thing was this. Mookie has just seen his best friend murdered and the choke, you know, strangle to death by the New York City Police Department, people would come up to me through the years and said their ter- interpretation was, we we'll keep through the garbage can as a distraction.
3: Right,
2: right. <laughs> so, so Sal, Vino, and Peter would not be killed yeah. by a mob of angry black people. And I think that, but that was some people's interpretation. That's, again, that's the thing about art. You know, and you really can't dictate how people are going to interpret it because everybody comes from a different place. You must. But I will not argue with what you just said.
0: Well, because it really it, it is has stayed with me. The look on her face, the the whole scene is just.
2: But but so do un... but you, do you know Jennifer Hudson's history?
0: Yes. Well, that's the thing. You know, it would look... I mean, she
2: for for your readers, mounting is a doing. You know, this is known knowledge that Jennifer's mother, brother, nephew, were murdered yeah. in Chicago. So, I think that's extra gravitas that you have with Jennifer Hudson in this film. This it, is not an act for her. Yeah. Did she, you, she is a, you know, she got hit directly by gun violence on the south side of Chicago.
0: Now, when you were thinking about casting, and, and she seems like, uh, you know, uh, an obvious choice. Were you reticent to approach her because it might yes. have been too close? Yes. Yeah. Number one,
2: I didn't want her to think that I was exploiting her. Mm-hmm. And so there was, I knew I wanted to for the part, but there was some length of time before I got the courage enough to, before I got the courage enough to approach her. Also, When we did meet, you know, I was going, I was babbling. She said, Spike, I know why you want me to do this film. So you just stop. I'll do it. (laughs) You know, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to be sensitive. And I turned out just babbling, and you know, beating around the the point in the bush. Spike, I know why you want want me to do it. I'll do it. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, I'm just going to shut up.
0: The tone is all over the place, made all the more bizarre by the dialogue, which is all in verse. The situation is out of control, says a strip club owner played by Dave Chappelle, after his employees joined the strike, and I'm in front of an empty stripper pole. It's today's language, filtered through Aristophanes, Tupac and Kendrick Lamar. It's vital and bold. Chirac is a heady experience. Lee is fearless in his handling of the material, taking chances narratively and visually to tell the timely and hot-button story of a, quote, self-inflicted genocide. It's powerful, it's preachy, maddening, and ultimately unforgettable. Finally, let's have a look at the beginning of a franchise. In First Blood, the first and I think best in the Rambo series, a former Green Beret played by Sylvester Stallone uses all the guerrilla tactics he learned in Vietnam to save himself after he is falsely accused of a crime while visiting the Pacific Northwest. The film's success spawned a franchise consisting of sequels, all of which were co-written and starred Stallone, an animated television series, and comic books, novels, video games, and even a Bollywood remake. The script for First Blood circulated in Hollywood for some time before landing on director Ted Kotcheff's desk. Al Pacino and Steve McQueen had been attached to it at various times, but Kotcheff had a different idea as to who should play John Rambo. Here he is to tell the story of how Sylvester Stallone was hired and then influenced the direction of the entire movie. In his own words, here's
3: Ted Kotcheff. I loved him. I mean, the funny thing was that he was only at the time the received wisdom in Hollywood was he only works in Rocky right. because he made two Rocky films, big successes. But he made four other films, Paradise Alley and Nighthawks, uh, Fist, and they dull died. Yeah. So the received wisdom was Sylvester Stallone only works in Rocky. Only in the boxing ring. That's yeah. right. Only in the boxing <laughs> ring. And I said, no, no, no. This guy's perfect. He's got the strength, but there's like, a kind of a poignancy about him, which I love. It would be perfect for that part. You would understand what had, what had, why he was doing what he was doing. And and, um, and and I cast him, but no, he was he was wonderful. We uh, what happened was uh, he was a very good writer, mm-hmm. and when he heard that I wanted to, when when I offered him the part, he said, "I understand you you're going to rewrite the script. I said, "Yes, I am." Uh, he says, "Well, I'd love to join join you with, with you," and I said, "Fine, we work together." But it, but he he made and he has thing about Sylvester Stallone, Richard. He has a good popular sense, right. And for example, the biggest biggest change that he suggested was, it, that, as I said, I conceived of it as a suicide mission because it was based on on the suicides of all. And he he commits Harry Carey at the end of the film yeah. in, the, in the way we originally staged mm-hmm. it. In the original version. Yeah. yeah. So he he so he reaches out and he commits Harry Carey by pressing the gun that is in the hands of his colonel and uh, blows himself away. And he did it. And it was brilliant. It was moving. It was brilliantly acted. He was great in the part. And he says, Ted, can, after, I said, cut. He said, Ted, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. He said, Ted, we've put this character through so much. He's, he's chased by dogs. He's pursued by the cops. They shoot him and they wound him. He jumps off cliffs into, into trees to break his fall. And I said, and he says, and now we're going to kill him? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're right. I think you're, you've, got a, you've got a real point, I said, because he shouldn't die at the end. Because that means the guys like the sheriff in that town would win, right. even though he defeats, he, he smashes, he, de, he 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 de, he, de, he, de, he de destroys this town the way the way he used to destroy villages in Vietnam, but at the same time, he's if he dies they win. So I said, okay, I'm gonna I know exactly what I'm going to do, and I and, and I uh, shot another ending in two hours right after that in one shot, yeah, the one that's in the film now, <laughs> but he he had this great popular sense um, Sylvester as he he knew what audiences wanted to see and what what they didn't want to see and when we tested the film with the original suicide ending the audience went crazy at the end they said they, they, and the, all the cards that we filled out in the test, they said, this is the best action film I've ever seen. But how could you kill Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> Exclamation mark, an underlining of Rambo. <laughs> best, it,
0: the best the, action scene I've ever seen except for the last five minutes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, well, is it true that it, at one point he said in the rewriting process, he said, you know what? I don't think John Rambo should speak.
3: Yes. Yeah. He when wanted they, him to be they, mute. One day, we, we, we uh, we're, we're, working, were working together, and he came and I said, I got this crazy idea, Ted. I said, what is it? Rambo never says a single word in the film. <laughs> and, of course, as a director, I love extreme yeah. ideas like this, something that's never been done before. Can you imagine? Comes out of a film, the, the hero never says a single yeah. An word. action hero the does hero speak, yeah. Never speaks, never <laughs> speaks. I said, oh, I love it. Let's do it. And we spent two or three days here. And finally, I said on the third day, I said, you know, Sylvester, he would really speak here. And he would really speak over here, and it's forced, it's forced, and unnatural for him not to speak. So I said, "I'm, I'm going But the the two or three days we spent eliminating all the dialogue it had a salutary effect. It made the whole script very laconic, mm-hmm. very few words, mostly pictures. And uh, for example, there was a great line that, that they quote in the film: uh, "They drew first blood, yeah. not me." Think about it: six words. Yeah, they drew first blood.
0: They're so strong. First Blood is not just a heart-pounding action movie, but it's also a character study that examines the very real and traumatic fallout for people who returned from war. Dark and subtext heavy, it's an action movie with brawn and brains. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Stay happy, stay healthy. I'm Richard Krause. We'll talk to you again soon.